Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Uh, and, you know, I know Father's Day is kind of a, it's a, we all have different experiences with fathers. For me, Father's Day is very much a novelty. I, you know, it comes along, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a dad now, I get something. And, uh, and I know for some of you, this might be the anniversary uh, of losing your father or, or whatever, so. So I'm thinking and praying for you in those things. Today's kind of a, by the way, if you don't know me, my name's David, one of the pastors here and a member of the preaching team. And today is kind of a little bit different. Normally we like to preach through books of the Bible. We just finished Ephesians, going section by section through the book of Ephesians. And uh, in a couple weeks we're going to get right into Colossians, but we kind of like to wedge some gap weeks in between our big series so that we can address various topics, because while we do believe the most faithful way uh, to preach through God's word is to literally preach through uh, the books as they were written, uh, we do think that there are times when you need to kind of pick out what scripture says about a single topic, because there's not one passage that really explains everything we want to know about that topic. And so today we're going to talk about baptism. It's going to be a little bit teachier than normal. I apologize. Uh, but we're talking about baptism, specifically what baptism looks like here at Hollis Center Church and why we do it that way. So just to start it off, the symbols of the church reflect what we believe and therefore matter greatly. You know, in church we have a variety of symbols. The two primary ones are the Lord's Supper and baptism. But then, you know, we also have other symbols like the cross. The cross is a symbol we use in church. And these symbols are meaningful. They represent great, deep truths. Um, Even for those of us that are maybe more theologically inclined, some of those most meaningful uh, elements of our Christian walk are just being reminded of truths in simple ways. And so in church, we use a variety of symbols to do that. How many of you have seen the movie Nacho Libre? Some? Okay, so um, I apologize for those of you that might go and watch it because it's kind of a goofy movie. Really, it's one of those movies you're like, that was, that was dumb. I'm never going to watch that again. And then you do because, you know, it's a, kind of a funny movie. But it, it's this kind of Hispanically themed movie. It's a comedy. But Jack Black is the main character. And in the movie, he is a Catholic monk who wants to become a lucador, a wrestler. And so he begins going to these various like wrestling competitions in a mask, and you know, there's tension and drama about it. And he is a partner in his wrestling, and his partner doesn't believe in God. You know, his partner says, why do you have to judge me? I only believe in science. And they have this conversation in the movie because you know, Nacho's worried because he's not baptized. And he's Catholic, right? So, so he needs to be baptized if he's going to go to heaven. And so what he does is he fills a bowl with water, And he sneaks up behind him, puts the bowl of water in his lap, and slams his head in the bowl of water, and says, praise the Lord, felicidades. And it's just this like random scene in the movie, right? But but in that scene, as, as goofy as it is, right, that's showing what some people might believe about God and about baptism based on how they would use that symbol, right? That all that matters, get them wet and they're good, right? 
doesn't matter if he's an atheist and doesn't want to be baptized, just get him in and he'll be fine. And there are even times we look in church history where things like that were done. Right? So, so how we practice the symbols of the church, how we use the symbols of the church, it matters. It, it says something about what we believe. It says something about God. And so here at Hollis Center Church, and I'm going to you know, explain this near the end, but we practice believer's baptism by immersion with flexibility. Believer's baptism by immersion with flexibility. I'll explain that, but I, I kind of want to pack in kind of a, almost a complete look at baptism today. And to start that off, that all begins with the truth that salvation is by faith alone. Salvation is by faith alone. You know, we as human beings, we are born sinners, we are born children of rebels, and then all of us uh, choose to do and desire to do and end up doing things that are contrary to God's law, and he's the creator, he's the standard of what is good and right, and there's a penalty for that, because God is just. And what we celebrate here as Christians is that God himself, Jesus Christ, came down and he took the wrath of God the Father on himself. So if we put our trust in him, he's taken the penalty for our sins. We can be welcomed in as sons and daughters of our creator and begin to walk in newness of life. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. I mean, you look at religions all over the world, and it's a long list of, hey, do these things and you'll be right with this higher power. You know, do these things and everything's going to go great for you, and that's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is, look, we cannot be good enough. We violate our own low moral standards as people. And that's especially true of God's moral standard, But the path that God has given us is one where we simply trust the work of Jesus Christ and he forgives us. And we are saved. Salvation is by faith alone. There's nothing we can do to win God's favor. We simply trust Jesus. And in Romans chapter 4, we aren't necessarily going to go there because we're on the fast train today. But in talking, in the Apostle Paul, talking about Abraham, who was the forefather of God's Old Testament people, the Jews, the Israelites, he makes the point that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That the forefather of all Jewish people was made right with God because he had faith in God. Now, after he exercised that faith, God gave him a symbol, circumcision where a little bit of skin is cut off the baby boys every generation, even today, among uh, Israelites, among Jews. And, and that was a symbol of God's covenant with his people. But at the very beginning, Abraham was right with God, not because of the symbol, but because of his faith. And that's something we need to keep in mind as Christians, or for those in this room that are maybe curious about Christianity, is that baptism, as a powerful symbol, it's important, but faith is what saves us. Being baptized doesn't save anyone if faith is not present. Faith is what saves. Now, kind of a brief history of baptism. Before Jesus came on the scene, baptism was still a thing. Uh, There was a a baptism where people who wanted to become Jews uh, would be submersed in water to show their commitment to the God of the Old Testament, the living God. 
And there was also a baptism we see uh, that, the, that John the Baptist had, that he was out in the wilderness preparing the way for the Messiah, and Jews were coming out, and they were setting their hearts right. They're saying, I want to set my house in order because the Messiah is coming. The chosen one to rescue God's people is coming. I need to get right. And so they were being baptized by John in the wilderness, down in the Jordan River. So baptism was around, and baptism represented identification and commitment. Identification and commitment. And so this brings us to our second point, that uh, saved people get baptized. So first, salvation is by faith alone, and then saved people get baptized. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, these are the words of Jesus right before he was ascending to the Father after his resurrection. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That, that our marching orders as Christians, as we go throughout this world, is to teach people how to follow Jesus, how to know Jesus, how to obey Jesus, and to also baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So saved people get baptized. Now in Acts 2, uh, 37 through 38, it says, Now when they had heard these things, sorry, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So the apostle Peter has just preached a sermon and basically said to his own kinsmen, his, his fellow Jews, uh, you killed the Messiah. He was real. He came. You killed him. He rose from the dead. He is Lord. And they actually believe it. They believe the message. They go, oh no, Like, what are we going to do? We killed our Messiah. That's not a good thing. They, they have faith in Jesus because they believe the message and they say, well, what should we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, honestly, for those of us that have kind of grown up in conservative Christian circles, the way Peter phrases that might actually make us uncomfortable. Because he holds baptism very closely with salvation. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't just say, hey, believe and you'll be okay. Like, come to the altar call, sign out the card, and then go home. He says, no, you believe. Well, be people who believe get baptized, and they turn away from their sin and turn to God's ways. That, that baptism and repentance, turning away from our sinful ways and turning towards God's ways, those are the two things that believers do. Once we get saved is we are baptized, and then we repent. In First Peter, in First Peter, Peter uh, phrases all this in a way that might even make us more uncomfortable. Get our gears turning. In First Peter, chapter three, verse, starting at verse twenty-one, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. 
Now the verses that follow that, which are, which are wicked important because if you just take that snippet, baptism now saves you, and you just run with that, you'll get some wacky ideas about baptism, and you'll start force dunking all your relatives, right, so they can go to heaven. That's not how it works. He gives this illustration. He says, okay, back, you know, and for those of you that grew up in church, uh, you'll remember, right, there was a man named Noah way back in the day, and he lived in a very wicked time where God was going to flood the earth. And so uh, Noah trusted God, and God told him to build a boat, to build a vessel uh, through which living beings would be saved from this judgment. And, and in Noah's day, pretty much no one believed him. No one trusted God. No one wanted to turn away from their sins. No one wanted to, to be rescued. They thought he was a fool. And so the only people that actually uh, were rescued through the waters of the flood was Noah and a few of his relatives. They were rescued through the waters. This is what Peter says. He says you know, in the verses that follow, he says that there were eight people who were brought safely through water. And then that's when he says baptism you know, corresponds to this now saves you. Now, it, it wasn't the water that saved Noah. It wasn't the water that saved Noah. In fact, the water was the flood that was killing people. But the water was what held up the boat. And it was Noah's faith that, that caused him to build that boat, to obey God's commands. And because of his faith, him and his family were saved through the waters. And it's the same way with baptism. Faith is what saves us, but when we put our faith in God, we then, as an act of obedience, we pass through the waters of baptism. And that's how, that's how Peter can say, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. And he says, look, it's not about dirt. It's not about you know, the water washing dirt off your body. But it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's, it's an appeal. It's a pledge. It's declaring, God, I know that I cannot save myself, but you can save me. I'm putting my trust in you, and I'm stepping forward in commitment and obedience. So really, if, if we think about it, baptism and salvation are a package deal. Now, now, there's some strange conclusions we could draw from that that we don't want to go to. This is where it gets messy. Okay, I'm getting into the verses I didn't want to preach on. Like, it's one thing to go, you know, salvation is through faith alone. Have a great day. You should probably get baptized sometime. But that's not, that's not the complete word of, that we find in the New Testament. It's a package deal. I, I want you to imagine it this way. Imagine you go to, a, a, like, a wicked nice restaurant. You go to a really nice restaurant... And there's, there's like a five-star, you know, Michelin-star chef. And you order some food. Now, who's providing that food for you? The chef, right? The chef is the one in there providing the food for you. He's the one, you know, at least in this illustration, he's the one making the food. He's prepping it for you. He's the one who's going to nourish you through this food. And so he takes this wonderful food and he puts it on this plate. And if you've ever, ever been to a fancy restaurant or you've just watched the Instagram photos of someone who likes to go to fancy restaurants, there are all these little garnishes and drizzles and things like that at a fancy restaurant. That, that presentation matters. It's not like the cafeteria where it's just like plop next, right? But you go to a fancy restaurant and the presentation matters. And I want you to kind of, and it's not a perfect illustration, all right? No illustration is really perfect when you're dealing with truths like this. But imagine that Jesus is the chef. 
Jesus is the one who feeds us. He's the one who nourishes us. He's the one who provides salvation for us. The food is faith. That faith is the way that God chooses to save us. And yet that faith is put on this beautiful platter, this beautiful presentation called baptism. Now, technically speaking, can you be fed without that plate? Yeah, you can be fed without that plate. But what kind of whack job would do that? Like, those, those tables are never clean in a restaurant. They're always sticky, you know? Especially like at a place like Applebee's or like, you know, the, the Tin Tin Buffet, rest in peace, okay? Like, the, the, the tables are never clean. And so imagine you're at this five-star restaurant. You have the most wonderful food you're ever going to taste delivered to your table. And you say, hey, could you slide that off of the plate into a pile on the tablecloth? You know how insane that sounds? How offensive would that be to the chef that created this wonderful presentation for you to enjoy, for others to enjoy, and you just go, now, I won't have that. Just slide it off. I can eat it like this. That is what it is like when Christians refuse baptism. That is what it's like. And I know that doesn't apply to the majority of you in this room. The majority of you in this room are Christians who have been properly baptized or you're unbelievers who are just, you know, you're here and you're curious and we're glad that you're here. But it's so common in churches here in America for people to get saved at some event or, you know, get saved at a VBS or, or you know, they, they slowly over time decide to follow Christ and they never get around to baptism. And that's not right. It's not the way that God has designed this. Now, yeah, there was the thief on the cross, right? There was the guy hung right next to Jesus who trusted in him, and Jesus said, hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Like, we know that you don't need water to be saved. But yet, baptism is this wonderful plate that God has chosen to present our faith on. It's kind of a package deal. All right, so that's enough of that. What does baptism represent? Well, baptism, first and firstly, it represents being brought into the church. It represents being brought into the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. That no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your background is, no matter how different you are from other people, when you put your trust in Jesus, you are brought into one body, one family. There's only one capital C church. Um, God does not segregate his people. God does not segregate his people. And that is a work that the Holy Spirit does. When we believe, the Holy Spirit brings us into the family of God, and baptism is a symbol that reminds us of that, that represents that. Now, baptism also has a few other meanings. So firstly, it represents being brought into the church. Secondly, baptism represents identifying with Christ. Identifying with Christ, we see this in Romans 6, verses 3 through 4. Romans 6, verses 3. 3 through 4. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That we as Christians identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Firstly, we know, chances are, you know, unless Jesus comes back you know, within our lifetimes, that we are going to die. And our body is going to be buried, but one day at the resurrection, we will all be raised. We'll meet him in the air, and Jesus is coming to reign fully. And so we can look at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and trust that we too will be raised like him. But also, his death, burial, and resurrection is something that really forms our lives now. Because every day we have to take up our cross and follow after Jesus and lay aside our desires, lay aside what we want to do, lay aside our sins, lay aside that which entangles us, and set our eyes on Jesus. And as we walk through that, as the Holy Spirit helps us along, we experience newness of life again and again and again and again. That that our resurrection, yes, is a future event, but it's also a present reality. And so baptism is a wonderful symbol of this, this this death to self, this death to the world, and then this resurrection that comes from Christ. That's why when I baptize people, I'll I'll baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then I'll say, buried in his likeness and raised to newness of life. And that comes from these verses here uh, in Romans 6. Uh, And now thirdly, baptism also represents the washing of sin, the washing of sin. Uh, we see this in Acts 22, verse 16. In Acts 22, 16, there's a man named Ananias uh, who God used to kind of help Paul uh, after, he, after Paul had his Jesus moment and stopped persecuting the church. Ananias was used by God to kind of bring Paul into the flock, kind of incorporate him into the community. And Ananias says, do you not know... No, sorry, that's the wrong one. Uh, and now, why do you wait Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Calling on his name. That baptism, I mean, water washes us, right? I don't think any of you take dust baths like a turkey. Or I would have smelled you on the way in if you did that, okay? Like, water washes us. We use water to wash us, some more regularly than others. But water is what washes us. And that is a symbol, right, that God is the one who washes us of our sin. It's by the blood of Jesus that we are cleansed from our sin. Baptism reminds us of that. All right, so there there are three things that baptism represents, being brought into the body of Christ, into his church, into his family. It represents the washing of sin, and it represents Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's a very powerful image. And now I'd just like to briefly kind of address two false requirements for baptism. Because like any church, right, we have traditions. And sometimes those traditions don't line up with God's word too well. And so there are two false requirements. Actually, I kind of, have, I kind of divided it up into three in the slides. But sometimes we say, well, there needs to be a speech. Like you need to be able to give a speech before you're baptized. And sometimes we say, well, there needs to be a certain amount of people or it needs to be in a certain place. And the thing is, in Scripture... We don't really have an example. Most of the times where people are getting baptized, there's no speech. All right? There's no like, hey, let's hand this person, you know, this person needs to write down their testimony and then stand there and read their testimony before we baptize them. 
Now, that's a wonderful thing to do. I'm not poo-pooing that in the least bit, right? But it's not, it's not a biblical requirement. That public speaking is not a biblical requirement to being baptized. I think some people would say amen to that, but you're probably the people who don't like to lift your voice in public, so that's kind of how that works. Yeah, but also this whole, you know, well, you know, it needs to be, some people will say it needs to be in the baptistry. It needs to be in the church building. It needs to be in that special space. The early church didn't even have church buildings. They didn't have baptistries. And then some people say, well, you know, it needs to be out, outside and, you know, it needs to be in a public space where tons of other people can, can see it. And that's a great thing. We love doing that. But there are times in the New Testament where it seems the baptisms were kind of private. The Ethiopian eunuch was basically baptized in a ditch on the side of the road. Uh, there are a few baptisms that seem to have probably taken place just in the home, in the household. And this is why we baptize with flexibility. We don't want to become really stuck up that we do it a specific way and it has to be this way. All right, we have flexibility in where we baptize, who needs to be there. The bottom line is that person's getting baptized. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. Getting ahead of myself. There's this, there's this phrase that we throw around. We use this phrase, public profession. We say baptism is a public profession of one's faith. That is an adequate description of baptism. But a lot of our, our traditions stem from that phrase, and that phrase is not something that we get from, it's, it, from these passages. It's just not there. Baptism is a public profession, but sometimes we take that phrase that we made up and then we create a bunch of traditions off of it and say, therefore, it needs to be in the most public space imaginable. And I don't believe that's the case biblically. I don't believe that's the case biblically. Um, you know, we look through church history and we look nowadays. I saw a post just a few days ago where they blurred out the people's faces where there was a secret baptism happening because these people were in a Muslim country. And if they went out and got baptized publicly, they would all be killed pretty much immediately. And that's a decision that those people had to make. Okay, are we going to go out and do this and go to our deaths? Or are we going to have a private baptism so we can continue to preach the gospel? That's a tough decision that Christians have to make. And throughout church history, Christians have landed on either side of that. Some Christians have gone out and gotten baptized and went straight to their execution. And other Christians have baptized privately and continued on the work of the ministry. All right, there's room for disagreement here, but ultimately that's a decision that Christian has to make in that moment uh, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, here at Hollis Center Church, we practice believer's baptism by immersion with flexibility. So what does that mean? What does that mean? First off, we baptize professing believers only. We baptize professing believers only. We baptize people who can express their faith, who can say, yes, like, Jesus is my Savior. I understand the gospel. I want to live for him, and I want to be baptized. Uh, that means that we don't baptize babies. It means we don't baptize people against their will. That we, baptize, we believe that baptism is a symbol that accompanies and follows faith. And so, therefore, we want someone who exercises faith to be baptized. And I know a lot of you are really familiar with this. There are a lot of Christian groups that baptize babies. I know that there are a number of you that were baptized as infants in the Catholic Church, because this is New England, right? The Catholic Church basically used to rule New England. Um, and I, I, this, is, this is a sidebar, I guess. 
there are some Christian groups that baptize babies for very wrong reasons, and there are some Christian groups that baptize babies for reasons that we would disagree with, but they're still our brothers and sisters, if that makes sense. Because if, if there's a church tradition that says, okay, as long as we get them wet, they're fine, right? It doesn't matter how they live. It doesn't matter their faith. We just need to get them wet and they're fine. That's paganism. That's not Christianity. That's paganism. But we have brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, there, are, there are some Presbyterian churches in the area. I'm good friends with the pastors. And, and sometimes I agree on more things with them than some of my Baptist friends. Right? These are godly Bible-believing, you know, wonderful Christians, and they baptize babies, but they don't believe that baptism saves those babies when they do that. They believe that salvation is through faith alone. They have kind of a weird way of going around it. I've studied it. I don't agree with it. But there are brothers and sisters. So just keep that in mind as you're interacting with other Christians. But here at Hollis Center Church, we baptize professing believers only. And then secondly, we baptize by immersion when possible. What that means is we dunk people under the water when possible. The word baptizo, the Greek word used for baptism, literally means to dunk, submerse. We see these baptisms happening in the New Testament in the river. Uh, We have historical evidence of those um, baptisms before Jesus, and those were in tanks where people would go all the way under. So we believe the most faithful ways to baptize all the way under the water, it's most symbolic. We believe it's most faithful to the Bible. But we're flexible, because at the end of the day, Salvation is through what? Faith. Okay? And so, and if you're in the middle of the desert, and you, get, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, and there's no water around, you aren't up a creek. You aren't. And there have been times here at this church where there's been someone who maybe was disabled. We, that was a few years ago. There's someone who's disabled, and so it would have been we probably would have hurt them if we tried to you know, put them under the water. So we got five-gallon buckets, and we did as good of a job as we could. And there are times where someone might be on a deathbed, and, and they want to be baptized, and so we would just use a little bit of water, okay, because we aren't going to try to drown them. Um, you know, there, there's flexibility in this because the water is not the important part, but it is important. And you can see I'm just running around in circles, right? Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the one who saves us when we put our trust in him, but baptism is also important, And we believe there's a better way to do baptism, but at the end of the day, if you have a gallon of water or 50 gallons of water, neither is more effective than the other because it's not about the water. It's about faith. But we here, we baptize by immersion when possible. All right, so what does this look like? Bringing this all together, what does this look like at Hollis Center Church? So while a speech and a crowd are not essential elements to a baptism, we generally do incorporate testimonies and we generally incorporate gatherings of people because we believe those are extremely life-giving to the church. Like last weekend was just awesome. It was awesome. Uh, And it's just so encouraging uh, for people to come and and see this friend and to to be with them in this milestone and take videos and put it on social media. It's a wonderful testimony of what God is doing in that person's life. Is that essential? No, it's not essential, but we believe it's a really important thing, and so we tend to make that happen when we can. And after all, right, we are baptized into the body, we're into a family, so it's not just about us. It's not just between us and God. Baptism is also kind of a group effort, a community exercise. Uh, We do have a time gap between baptism 
and, between faith and baptism usually, which, which isn't necessarily biblical. Like, I'll be honest with that. I think probably the most faithful, biblical way to baptize someone, if we were to just see what they did, is, man, you just got saved. Where's the closest water source? Let's just get you in. We tend to kind of draw it out just a little bit because we want to talk to them, make sure they understand salvation, and we also want to kind of let everyone know so we can have some witnesses there and kind of celebrate that. Once again, that's not essential. Not essential. Someday you might hear that Pastor David baptized someone and no one heard about it until after the fact, and it's going to be okay. All right? We can put down the pitchforks. Because that will be a faithful way to baptize. It's just generally not the way that we do it here with what we prefer. Um, Location. Last weekend, we were on the Soccer River. In July, we're going to be up here with the baptistry. Probably we're going to wheel it outside like we did a couple of years ago. Okay, location isn't a big deal. Uh, it just kind of depends on our plans. And also, here's an interesting thing. When you look through Scripture, uh, there's no, like, super-duper requirements for people who baptize other people. It doesn't have to be a pastor. It doesn't. I mean, on the day of Pentecost, there were thousands of people getting baptized if the apostles were the only ones baptizing, it would have taken them a very, very long time and their arms would have gotten really tired. Chances are that, that as people were getting baptized, they started baptizing other people who were coming down into the water. Uh, I was baptized by my dad. Okay, so, so if you are someone pursuing baptism, it doesn't have to be a pastor. Obviously, I love baptizing people. It's one of the greatest joys of my ministry, but it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be a pastor, right? It just should be another Christian who I think should be connected to you somehow. I think that's important. When we have a baptism here, we generally we read the Apostles' Creed because that's just a very simple way for us to all be on the same page of, of kind of what it means to put our trust in Jesus and to believe God's word. And then when someone's in the water, I ask them, and it's obviously after talking with them one-on-one, uh, do you affirm the words that we've spoken? Awesome. You know, do you renounce Satan? And his demons and his works, yes. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, yes. And then they're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that was a lot. But I think that's it, more or less. So, so that's kind of what we do here at Hall Center Church for Baptism. That's kind of why we do it. We've touched down on, on some texts in God's word regarding baptism. So here's the invitation. Invitation time. July 31st, we're doing our summer celebration which is just kind of our party of kind of drawing ourselves out of that summer slump, gathering together, having food, games, just enjoying that fellowship, swim, swimming in the river. It's an awesome time, and we're going to offer baptism. So if you would like to get baptized, please reach out. And I guess I probably should specify, um, if you were baptized um, in a Bible-believing church, when you professed faith, but then you've just kind of gone through a, series, you know, a, a few years of rebellion or a few years of doubt and you've come back, uh, we, we, we wouldn't give you baptism again. Because we would say, no, baptism should be given once ideally, and it was given properly in accordance with your faith, and by God's grace, you've come back. But if you were baptized as a baby, we would say, and it wasn't about your faith, it was just a ritual that was done somewhere, we would encourage you to get baptized and obviously, if you're, if you're a new convert, uh, like some of you kids haven't been baptized yet, and you, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, this would be an awesome opportunity. Talk to your parents, your grandparents. Uh, talk to Miss Lori. Talk to me, and we can see if we can make that happen. 
And obviously, if you're an adult and you've recently put your faith in Jesus uh, or, or you've put it off, I would encourage you to take this opportunity uh, to make that commitment and go through those waters in obedience to Jesus. I think the best way to close this out is with some footage from last weekend. And so we just have some words that, uh, that were spoken about these two ladies and their testimony. And it's not like a complete testimony. I'm sure they have much more uh, that they could share. But this is just a little bit about what Jesus has done for them. And then we're going to also show footage of them being baptized for those of you that weren't able to, to scramble down to the river when they closed the road. <laughs> 